Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Nate. And this is our review of Days of Thunder, starring Tom Cruise, Robert Duvall, Nicole Kidman, Michael Rooker, John C. Riley, Carrie Elways, and Randy Quaid. Directed by Tony Scott, produced by Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, released in 1990 on a budget of $55 million, grossed $157 million at the box office, another $40 million in rentals. Nate, I have distinct memories of seeing this thing in 1990, but I want to know your story with Days of Thunder. All right, so I got to I got to put some background on this. I this movie came out in 1990. In 1990, I was 14 years old. I worked, and when I was 14 years old that summer, I worked in a pit crew at the local speedway down in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. That's where I learned to change change a tire, index spark plugs, everything I know about a car. I learned from working in the. It was at the very bottom level of racing. I mean, we're, I'm telling you, these are just guys that. This is just something new for fun. The car is wrecked all the time. But I worked in this pit crew that whole racing season. And so I was, I grew up, growing up in South Carolina, I grew up an hour away from Darlington. And NASCAR was my favorite, absolute favorite sport, really, all the way up until Tony Stewart retired. And after he retired, because I grew up, Richard Petty was my guy. Then it was Darrell Waltrip. And then I got out of it for a little while. And then when Tony Stewart came along, I really liked him. And then when he got out, then that I was just done. The sport had just changed too much. So when I saw this movie come out, you got to keep in mind, I was 14. I had been watching NASCAR since I was a little kid. I had all the Hot Wheels. In fact, I've got my Days of Thunder Hot Wheels right over here that I still have <laughs> out that I'm going to bring over. Um, but, you know, I was really excited about this. I remember seeing the trailer as a kid in the movie theater. And was really excited to see what this was about. And I, let's just say it was, it was interesting. It, it was, uh, so that, that, that's sort of my history of this movie. I've seen it many times since. There are a lot of things about the movie I love, love, love. It's a nostalgia thing. Um, it's really what the only NAS, somewhat NASCAR movie that's not a comedy. Um, yeah. It's, but as Richard Petty did say, you know, the only thing the movie got right were the numbers on the sides of the car. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that yeah, just a yeah, little yeah. bit. So, um, well, my my memories of this, I grew up a NASCAR fan as well. My brother's five years older than me. He and I grew up watching Bobby Allison and Davey Allison and, you know, Daryl Waltrip and Rusty Wallace try to kill each other at the Winston, you know, 500 mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it, we just grew up with NASCAR being in Alabama and Talladega was, oh, you know, our yeah. track, right? You know, yeah. and so it, it was a big deal. And so when we found out they were making this movie, we both had had loved Top Gun and we, we were kind of into Cruise and stuff. And like you, the only NASCAR movies that had been made were kind of a joke. I mean, you had Stroker Ace oh, with Burt Reynolds, yep, yep. which is funny, but isn't eh, it's not really good NASCAR. No. The racing sequences are pretty good. Or you had Six Pack with Kenny Rogers, which has a good song and Diane Lane, but that's about it. I mean, that, that yeah, that was trash. really it at that time. 
yeah, you had nothing. And since this, you haven't really gotten any more good ones. We got Talladega Nights, which is freaking hilarious and is a pretty good look at race culture, but it's almost a spoof of Days of Thunder. Mm-hmm. So when this was coming out, this was a big deal. And this is the last movie I saw in theaters with my brother before he went to college. Oh. Like before, like the weekend before we were taking him up to college in New York. Um, at West Point, he was like, we need to go see this thing. So he and I went to the theater together. And this was a big deal. Like I was 14. So getting my 18 year old brother to like pay attention to me at all was a big deal. You know, at that point, this is how it goes. Right. But he and I remember going to see this together and it was such, I mean, we just sat there and just ate it up. Right. I had the Nintendo game. If you remember that thing, I do remember Impo- that game. Yeah. Impossible to beat <laughs> that, that game. <laughs> it is nuts. It's one of those just like now I wish I could go back and play it. I might could do it. But anyway, I, I I remember growing up with that and just being so into this. And then, you know, you had everything in this movie. You had all the race stuff. I knew who mm. Robert Duvall was. I just ate him up. I thought he was great. Oh, yeah. Randy Quaid was such a presence. I didn't know who Carrie always was at the time. I would learn I it later. John C. Riley, you know, of course, having such a long career now, but this is early. Michael Rooker was always the scary bad guy, mm-hmm. you know, and from things. And then Nicole Kidman, who I didn't know at the time, but fell in love with at that oh, point. Oh, yeah. How could you not? That made me, yes, hair, exactly. You know? Absolutely. I was like, ooh, red hair. I didn't know I had a thing for it here until just now. It, it does. I mean, it's a thing. And so anyway, it was all of that stuff at once. You had Tony Scott, who I was aware of at that point. I had become aware of directors and styles and stuff. And I was like this. I mean, and the knock on this thing at the time was one that it's not realistic to NASCAR, you know, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And that it's just Top Gun in NASCAR, you know. And we're going to talk about that as yes. we get through this. But I think it's funny that on the day we were recording this, to pull the curtain back a little bit, we've just had a race at Talladega mm-hmm. with a very similar finish That's to true, the yeah. races in this movie with a huge crash and people swinging around each other on the outside and people trading paint all day. And they say NASCAR isn't like this. I mean, it, the thing about it was I think it revealed a lot about NASCAR that NASCAR yeah. wasn't ready to admit about yourself. It's almost like pulling the curtain back on wrestling before they were ready to admit kayfabe, you know, yeah. or, or break it. Yeah. And it was a little too much. Now, it does simplify a lot of things. And, and having now lived in Charlotte for a, a few years and been around the race culture that is here. And when I say the race culture, we're talking about like NASCAR Central. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the headquarters, the Hall of Fame. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And where the cars are built and stuff that is a very complicated process that gets pulled down to Robert Duvall like praying over pieces of metal in this movie but that's also not totally out of character for like old NASCAR and this was right at the point when NASCAR began to change Yes. And began to become what it is now. Right. And I remember thinking years later to myself when Jeff Gordon came onto the scene, people hated on him the way people hated on the Cole Trickle character because he wasn't from the South. That's right. He was a little smart, cocky guy Mm -hmm. who ran open wheels and then came down here and dominated the sport. Yeah. And from California, no less, just like Cole Trickle. Yeah. Well, it depends on when you ask him where he's from. Sometimes he claims Indiana. Sometimes he claims California. So, yeah. Right. Point is, he's not from South Georgia. Right. Exactly. You know, or, yeah, we're a lot of these other guys are from. And it's funny. I think the funny thing about NASCAR is if you go back to its roots history, and this is what makes the sport so Southern, mm-hmm. is it's bootleggers souping up their cars, and in between runs, they would just pull off into the woods and race each other. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. drag racers. It's it's just guys in their Lincolns and their Fords tricking them out so they can outrun the cops. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the fact that that becomes a sport, only America could we come it, up with something yeah. like that. It, it, absolutely brilliant. And you know, it's funny. It's that, that's exactly. I think that's why NASCAR appealed to me. You know, it was it. Mm. It had a regional identity. It had a, it had its a very unique history. 
Um, it, it was, and I think that's why it appealed to me growing up in the South. And it was always frustrating. I never got to go to a lot of NASCAR races, despite being only an hour away, because my dad was more of, he was into drag racing. So it was sometimes torture, which I enjoyed as a kid, but it was also sometimes torture because the drag racing speedway, the IRTRA speedway was right across the street from Darlington speedway. And I would just sit there's like, I just one day I want to go. And that Darlington did end up being my very first NASCAR race. And I've seen several since, but it was, I, cool. you know, I will say that as I sat down and watched this movie, a lot of things came back to me. Like, yes, the movie had some flaws. And even at hmm. 14, I was sitting there in a the theater. Okay, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. At 14. But I had the Days of Thunder poster on my wall. I still have the Days of Thunder Hot Wheel cars, which I it still holds a part of my heart because I, I have them out. They're on my bookshelf over here. You know, along with my Optimus Prime. And it's, it, it meant more to me than I thought it did. And uh, I think you're right. I think it did pull back some of that. Hey, this is actually what NASCAR is. And as we'll talk about a little bit later, they when they were making the film, they they did their research. You know, they mm-hmm. I mean, the you know, Randy Quaid's characters patterned off of Rick Hendrick. Yeah, I mean, they, they had Rick Hendrick giving them cars, yeah. building race cars mm-hmm. for them. The whole, I mean, they had a lot of input. And it should be said, Don Simpson was a race car guy, mm-hmm. you know, and he loved to, he loved to, you know, run street cars and race cars and stuff like that. And this whole thing started because Tom Cruise and Paul Newman became friends on, on the Color Money set mm-hmm. and they got to go drive a real race car. And Tom Cruise just became enamored with this thing and said, I, I want to write a story. So he went to Robert Town. They created this whole thing. And then he went to Simpson and Bruckheimer and said, I've got your next movie. Here's how it needs to go. And it's really the first time Cruise started to use his clout as an actor mm. to get something made. Right, I mean, he gets right. story credit on this. He really should get co-producing credit, too. And, I mean, since then, we've seen what he's done with his productions. Mm-hmm. He definitely has a lot of hand in his I say action-oriented career, and I think he's done some of in his drama career, too, but really his action-oriented career, he's guiding the ship. I mean, if you like the Mission Impossible movies, it's because you like what Tom Cruise says they need to be. Right, right. And he, right. yeah, he figured that out. And so, anyway, I, I think that's neat, though, that it was the first time I really realized, like, that a star could really get something made. Mm-hmm. You know, it's when I first really started to dig into movies and learn about them and how they were made and stuff like that. And so, I just, I don't know, I've always had a... a, a soft spot for this one. Um, but it had been a while since I'd seen it. Um, and when we were kicking around stuff to do, I mean, uh, Nate, you were a guest on the battle beyond the star show, which is a fantastic show earlier this year in yes. 2020. You're now a full cast member. So I said, okay, Nate, what do you want to be your first movie here? And you picked days of thunder out of the light. Yeah. And I was like, absolutely. Yeah. man, I'm, I'm down for some of that. It's December. So the race season's over. It's a little cold, but it'll be cranking up here. And again, in just a few months. So that's true. Let's get into the, uh, the movie here a little bit and do a, Quick plot summary, and then we'll talk about it as it unfolds. Let's do it. Tom Cruise plays Cole Trickle, and he's not your typical NASCAR driver. He's from California. He's kind of reckless. He doesn't really understand the sport, but he's got talent behind the wheel. So much talent that new race team owner, Tim Dalen, brings a recently retired crew chief and legend, Harry Hogg, played by Robert Duvall, to be the brains behind his new race team. Slowly and painfully, Cole and Harry learn to trust each other, and they start even doing well, and Cole's rivalry with current NASCAR frontrunner Rowdy Burns lands them in hot water with sports brass. Cole and Rowdy develop a fierce rivalry until both are caught up in a major accident at the Firecracker 400, the second race of the season at Daytona. And Rowdy and Cole are flown to a hospital where they're examined by the effervescent Dr. Claire Lewicki, played by Nicole Kidman, a neurosurgeon whom Cole clearly has a thing for. 
Rowdy and Cole bury the hatchet while destroying a couple of rental cars on the way to dinner with meeting with NASCAR Brass, a great cameo by Fred Dalton Thompson. Meanwhile, a replacement driver, Russ Wheeler, is brought in to run Cole's car while he recuperates in Quartz Glare. Finally back in a car, though, Cole has clearly lost his edge and purposely blows his engine, fearing another crash. Dalen starts a second race team with Wheeler, which adds another bit of Cole's anxiety on the track. Cole's frustration bowls over at North Wilkesboro, and he crashes into the celebrating Wheeler during a victory lap. Suspended from racing and fired by Dalen, Cole goes to check on his friend Rowdy, who is not cleared to race and is in need of surgery, which Rowdy's afraid to undergo. Cole finally convinces Rowdy to have the operation, and Rowdy asks Cole to run his car at the start of next season during the Daytona 500 so his nervous sponsors will continue their financial support of him regardless of the outcome of his surgery. Cole agrees and finds his mojo again, racing hard, chasing Wheeler around the track. Cole makes a daring move and passes Wheeler on the last lap to win the race. And he and Harry share a laugh and celebrate as credits roll. And that's the tight plot summary of Days of Thunder. I think we should just get into the way this thing starts. It throws us right in to the the big race. Oh, and if you know anything yeah. about NASCAR, the the cool thing about NASCAR is the biggest race of the year is the first race of the year. Not the, the Daytona last race, 500. not the championship race. It is the opening yeah. first race. 50 yes. plus and it years does set the tone. It does. It does set the tone for the season of, of the racers. Daytona 500, if you run good at it, you don't necessarily have to win to be a great race car driver, by the way. You just got to run good, like top fives, mm-hmm. top tens are what matters. It's placing. If you run good at Daytona, you feel like you've got a team, you've got a setup that can run good on other big super speedways. And that's where you make your money and make your points in NASCAR. You can win all the road tracks in the world, but if you can't run to the super speedway, you're not going to win the, the cup. And we, we get all the Daytona. And I got to say, Ward Russell is the director of photography on this. He had worked with Tony Scott before. It's his first movie as DP, though. And the way he is able to shoot this is so similar to Top Gun without being Top Gun that it's uncanny. I think that's why some of the comparisons are there is because you get the low angles down on the track. Mm-hmm. You get the big above of the track. You see the cars coming around. And a couple of years ago, my wife bought me one of those like five laps around the Charlotte Motor Speedway yes. thing for my birthday. Yeah. And when the guy came around turn three, I felt like I was in a scene from Days of Thunder, only to find out, and I didn't know this beforehand, all the in-car shots mm-hmm. are shot on the Charlotte Motor Speedway here. Yes. And so when you see the guys doing it, I was like, that's why that looked familiar, because that's what it looks like at 165 miles mm-hmm. an hour. Mm-hmm. And th- the the cinematography of this and laying out and setting up a scene of what a NASCAR race looks like, there's nothing like it. And, no. and, and you've been to them. I've been to them. I can't explain it to anybody who just watches this on television. That's one thing, but to go and experience that is—it's oh, it's a totally, it's other sporting event. totally different yeah. thing. Whether you're in the stands or in the car, I've done the ride along and I've done the drive along. I did the drive along. I did the driving experience at Talladega, and that was that was probably one of the most incredible experiences of my life. But it really does like watching this movie. You know, as I was—I remember as I was going to turn three and looking at just how monstrous that track looks, it really does capture the movie really does capture. And like I said, at the beginning, that cinematography at the beginning, the music that plays, I remember when I sat down and watched this, this, uh, this weekend, I was like, Oh wow. God, just all these happy memories just suddenly got kindled back up the step-by-step from the early morning hours at Daytona, the pr- the preparation of the track, the cars in the garage, the getting the track dry, people starting to show up in the stands, even the Confederate flags waving in the infield. I mean, that was um, 
It was part of the culture. That was part I mean, of the culture. Just, yeah, it's just part. It's part of it. It really and took I think me. The back. other thing too. The other thing you brought up there was the music. Oh. This is Hans Zimmer's first, first. big deal. Very one, and it's the first time with Tony Scott. Yes. And you've got Hans Zimmer and Billy Idol wrote this theme that David Coverdale sings over in the closing credits. If you listen to, yeah. but it's 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 Hans Zimmer, and then they got Jeff Beck, who's a guitar mm-hmm. monster, uh, and another you know big movie of the nineties. He's all over the Young Guns too soundtrack. Oh yeah, too, for oh, John yeah. Bon Jovi. But he's laying down these licks all over this thing, and there's there's just this. It's a movie made in nineteen nine or shot or released in nineteen ninety. It was all shot in the eighties, and you can feel like the eighties of yeah. it because of that music. But it's the Zimmer score is just pounding in this, and it carries the movie and it sets a tone. You're right. It's this sort of dawn and awakening of the morning. And you see this track. And what's amazing is we don't meet our main character until 15 minutes into this movie. Yeah. And that, that is not something you would do nowadays, particularly for a star like Cruz. Right. He's in the first scene yeah. right now. Yeah. Nope. He is, he doesn't come up until later. We meet everybody else. We see real race car drivers. We see Don Simpson acting like a race car driver. And then we see uh, Michael Rooker as Rowdy Burns, yeah. who's basically playing Dale Earnhardt. Let's just oh, say yeah, it's, I mean, that, that's who Dale. this is supposed to be. Well, there was a rumor <laughs> that Tom Cruise had a conversation during shooting, had a conversation with Dale Earnhardt. And it was rumored that that conversation was, would you, like to be the antagonist of the film, and he's like, "No, I don't want. I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want people." To- I think it's funny that Dale Earnhardt didn't want to be the bad guy, the intimidator. <laughs> yeah, Come on, but 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 the characterization is very much the way he drove. Oh, and if you know anything yeah. about the guy, it's how I mean, he it's, it's how he kind of ran. Is it a coincidence? I mean, uh, Rowdy Burns, the solid black car, yep. you know, with just the white writing on it, which that was my favorite car. In the- well, yeah, that was my favorite car in the movie. That and the city Chevrolet car. Those yeah, the City Chevrolet is a cool car. We'll talk about that car in a bit. But yeah, yeah the, we meet Rowdy Burns, we meet the whole crew, and we get all of it. And in the middle of it, we cut away. And I think the smartest thing they did in this, to give it that just twinge of realism, is you got Jerry Punch and you got the rest of the ESPN crew yes. to do the voiceover work. So it feels like a real show. You know, it's like when Jerry Maguire got the, at the time, the Monday Night Football booth, right. Al Michaels and Dan Durdorf and those guys, to actually call the fake game. Yes. They were doing, it just adds a level of authenticity to it that you couldn't get otherwise. Yes. No, I, I absolutely agree. Like I said, this movie, I mean, yes, like I said, there were, there were, there were parts of it that you just, that you point out, I was like, actually, they got some things wrong. And this, when you were talking about cinematography, um, there were many times where they would be, they were say they were at one track, and then you could clearly tell for that one second another shot that that's, you know, I'm sorry, but Charlotte doesn't have desert yeah. mountains in the background. <laughs> you know, that's clearly Phoenix. Nope. Uh, there's another one where towards the end of in the final race where. He says, Wheeler knocks me into Gant, Gant spun out. At one point, you see, and this was, the, I think, the most egregious one, because there's a several shots where you have, you have Russ Wheeler, you have Cole Trickle, and then you have the 33 skull of Harry Gant, but then you see it as the 26 Quaker State, then it's Gant again, and then when the car spins out, it's the 26 Quaker State of Brett Bodine. I was, and then he says, oh, you spun me into Gant. I was like, what did he do? Yeah, this is this is when you get Tony Scott's rules of like nobody knows, man. Just yeah, just go with it. Uh, yeah. Which is, but which you is, know what? I think but, that's one of the. You know what though? Things. In 1990, though, he probably was right. Mm. Like only a handful of people would have known the difference, you know, and stuff like that. And the point is, is it goes by in a second. But what I love is that when they get all this big setup and you get this huge, you know, rock and roll Daytona 500 atmosphere, and we cut away to go up here into you know North Mooresville or whatever, yeah. <laughs> North Carolina. Oh, yeah. To go catch up with our two, I guess you'd call them like our, our best supporting characters here. You've got 
Robert Duvall, who's mm-hmm. just a national treasure as an actor. Oh, yeah. Chewing up the scenery like that, you know, tractor he owns, chewing up the ground. And Randy Quaid, before he completely went off the deep end as a human being, coming out and playing a great Rick Hendrick. Oh, um, yeah. Clone. Oh, my goodness. To yes. pitch this guy, like, it, it's this whole, like, I've got to have the mentor lead the rogue through the, you know, tunnel or whatever thing. And I loved their conversation. And Duvall, of all the actors that do one, has one of the most authentic, true Southern, born into you accents you can get. Yes. He was and perfect. Just, Yes, and everything he lays out is Harry Hogg. It's supposed to be like half of Harry Hyde, the legendary race mm-hmm. car crew chief, and like four or five other people. Because Duvall said, I just spent some time talking to these guys, literally around a table, drinking moonshine with them, and I realized very quickly I needed to go read up on all the lingo. <laughs> and he got it down. Because I I love his whole bit, though, here, because the you got the big slick city you know uh, car owner, which I think it's funny to hear – Rick Hendrick described as the downtown, you know, used car salesman. And I'm like, Rick Hendrick is like oh. an auto empire yeah, yeah. You know, person exactly. here now, but this is 30 years later and, and is a racing, you know, legend. But to hear him, to see this person who's supposed to be in the early stages of his career, who's trying to start up a race team. And I mean, back in 1990, I remember talking to my brother about this, like, what would it cost to run a race team? And it, in those days, just to run a car at Daytona, it would cost you about a million and a half bucks. Mm-hmm. Now in it's a lot days. more. Yeah, in those so, yeah, days it would have been. Yeah, yeah in, in 30 years ago. So imagine what that is now, mm-hmm. right? So just to get a car on the track is you got to have the kind of money that is just insane, right? Mm-hmm. That you're willing to put into this. And I love he's having to have this conversation with him. And that gets us into our first scene where we finally get Cruz in. We're going to do the test at the track, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, here comes Michael Rooker. And I just love this guy, man. Every time he shows up in a movie, I, you know, I never got like go see things because he's in them. But every time he shows up in a movie, I just love his performance. Oh, yeah. He always looks like he's just annoyed. And that <laughs> whatever you say is going to be the wrong thing. He's like that economics teacher you had in high school. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I, I love that 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 scene where you finally meet Tom Cruise. Here he comes rolling in. It's, it's some of the lines in this movie. It's it, they stick with you over over time. And one of them at that opening scene, he's like, um, "Where's he from? You know, Glendale?" Or no, he's like from somewhere. He's like, "Was oh, that up near uh, Glendale? Was oh, that up near Wilkesboro? No, Glendale, California." And he's like, "Oh, so he's a Yankee?" Well, no, not really. If you're in California, you're not really a Yankee. You're not really so. You're not really anything. And it's yeah. just that kind of sticks. Like, well, I guess that's kind of true. Well, and, and what sticks about it is Duvall's response. You said it. You said it. That's you know, right. Because he's yeah. already skeptical. Right. It's like, I don't even know who you're talking about. Who is this guy? You know, I don't know. He, he, the only person you can get after the season starts is somebody that ain't no good or wasn't ever good to begin with, mm-hmm. you know. And he's not wrong no. uh, in that assumption, but we don't know this guy. And then you get the great moment with Tom Cruise coming up. And what I love here is how from the get-go, you know, Tom Cruise usually walks into the scene and he is the hero, yeah. right? Yeah. And when people ding this movie for being Top Gun in in NASCAR, I point and I say, mm, it's a totally different characterization. Like Pete Mitchell, Maverick would have walked in and been like, get out of my car and like drove the thing. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. This dude walks up and he's like, all right, here's what I do. I know this thing. And he lays out what what is a, a fair assessment of the difference between open wheel racing, you know, sprints, mm-hmm. indie cars, things like that. And NASCAR racing is that the cars in NASCAR are essentially designed to all be the same. Yes. Now, there are tweaks that people make to them because because good engineers do that, but it's generally the drivers and the crew chiefs that come up with ingenious ways of using their resources mm-hmm. that help you win, yeah. not 
a Ferrari engine is better than the Ford right, engine right, or the right. Honda engine yeah. or whatever it is, right? Yeah. And I, I love that they lay that out immediately. Because that is for the majority of the audience that does not follow racing. Mm-hmm. Because as big as NASCAR was in 1998, you and I are from the South, it was big for us. But if you grew up in Kansas or you grew up in Arizona, you didn't watch that. No. That wasn't your thing. You no. grew up in New York, you didn't watch that. You watched the Indy 500 once a year. You didn't watch NASCAR. You know, yeah. that was redneck racing, right? Yeah. That's so I love that they explain that for the audience and that there's all this trepidation. And then you also get the, the it's, it's pure 80s thing, even though this movie's made in 1990, is when you have the hero turn around and tell the skeptical old person like just put me in the moment and i'll prove it to you you yeah increase just lays that cheese out so well yeah it's such cheese but you know you're talking about like it's the the people who say well it's top gun and nascar and yeah it's it it really isn't but then you see tom cruise riding up on a motorcycle just like he did in top gun and then as we see later on when he with the you know the 80s style music playing in the background as they driving in north carolina again on the motorcycle with the girl in tow and it's just like wow this kind of is like top gun actually in some ways it kind of yeah it is it's it's a lot of the same stuff Mm -hmm. but there's there's a point when it all becomes something more we'll talk about when we get there but i love that his first interaction he gets on the track and he's just flying around right and they're trying to tell him take it easy and he's like no so he comes in and the he's hammer a, and then he's like no you're yeah. not yeah and he comes in and he's you know he beats he beats the last guy's time and all this stuff and it's like yeah on one lap yeah <laughs> but you know that's how you prove it well so th- we're going to give this guy a shot based on this one lap and then we do get what i what i is my favorite car it's the thing i remember most that green and gold paint scheme, oh that city chevrolet yeah, love it is freaking cool it and is i'm cool. not i can't prove it but i i swear the gordon dupont cars for years copied that oh like, could have been a long time well a little bit about the the city chevrolet car city chevrolet is a, an actual car dealership in charlotte north mm-hmm. carolina when my um, 92 Volvo finally died in 2008, I was dating a girl in Charlotte at the time. And first place, I, we said, well, we should go to a lot of places and look for cars. The first place I want to go was City Chevrolet. And sure enough, went there <laughs> and they had the, the City Chevrolet Lumina, like one of the Luminas there on display. They had like a whole uh, exhibit display, like a museum display about the movie mm-hmm. Days of Thunder at City Chevrolet. It warmed me. I was so happy. I didn't get a car there, but I, it was very... It was very, very cool to, to, to see all that. Now, you said that when they were building the car. Now, I will say this is one moment that I did have an issue with. When they're building the car and he's talking about all the things he wants to do, shave an extra inch off, put something a little extra, an extra little bit of gallon in the tank. It's like, wow, that is crazy illegal. They could not do yeah. that. And yeah, the- and yeah. all, the NASCAR rule book, we should yeah. say, is incredibly deep. Yes, it's extremely like you everything, like you had said before, everything, every car has to be the same. And here he is, I'm gonna shave an extra inch off, I'm gonna get extra you know, extra gallon of fuel in here. And here's the other thing I had a problem with was this is NASCAR. You don't this isn't a local speedway where you just have one car. If you're mm-hmm. running a race team, you don't have even in the eighties, you don't have one car. You have no. several cars. So I was really like, oh, so it's just, it was basically touted as it's the one car. And then the sequence of racing events as he's finally learning, to, getting onto the track with the other drivers. And they just kind of allude to like, this is the only car. So th- yeah. that uh, that sequence of events did bother me a little bit. 
I chalk that up to Tony Scott's ability to simplify things for the audience that won't have any point of reference for it. So, similar that he does in a lot of his other movies too, is that I'm going to give you enough information so that you realize this is what this looks like, but I'm not going to tell you how it all works because you don't need to know. And if I did, that would be boring. Like that's Tony Scott's way of thinking about it. Right. Like if he showed you how everything on the F-14 worked. In Top Gun, that would be that True. would be a documentary for the military channel. But Tony Scott also has a tendency, like, to oversimplify things. Like he, I, he does. Some, some of some of the dialogue is like the obvious foreshadowing. Like, okay, that didn't need. Oh, yeah. to, then suddenly, when something happens, it's not as dramatic because you know what's coming because from the dialogue, that's the obvious foreshadowing that's going on in. in a, in advance. Oh yeah, yeah. And the, what we're setting up is that Harry Hogg is this genius who knows how to make the most out of the NASCAR or the stock car, the race car. Right. And if he can get his driver to trust him, he can build something that will beat everything else out there. When they've already set up the dialogue, though, that the point of NASCAR is everything's built the same, but whatever, yeah. you know, details. I, Tony Scott's like motto in life was like, eh, details. Well, here's the you thing. Know, I mean, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, here's the thing I do. Yeah. I will say about this, like those instances where he kind of dumps it down a little bit, I guess mm-hmm. a little too much in my opinion are usually followed by something that's pretty freaking incredible. So as I yeah. said, the building of the car, I was like, okay, that that's they should just tear that car down right now. That would never pass inspection. But then it goes into the racing sequences. And that's really cool. As he's, try, as he's struggling, he doesn't know how to pit properly. He's wrecking yeah. all the time. One of the greatest lines after during that first race, and Duvall leans into the car in the pits. He's like, okay, now when you get back out there, I want you to hit the pace car. He's like, well, hit the pace car? Why? You're hitting every other car on the track. I want you to be perfect. Yeah, a real conversation that apparently happened yeah, yes. with Tim Reynolds with two, and several other guys. Yeah, exactly. and Tim Richmond. Yeah. So who Cold Trickle is based, based on in Tim a lot Richmond, of ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And I remember Tim Richmond. So I, it, that's funny, though, because that's exactly, though, when he says that, Again, at that point, being 14 years old, I could believe people in NASCAR would say oh, that. absolutely. Because that's how those guys talk. Absolutely, I mean, yes. And, and the whole idea, and this is what, what always just made me laugh and, and still does to this day. Everybody gets so ticked off about the fact that you know, he's getting bumped or whatever. And he's like, this guy keeps hitting me. He's like, no, he didn't hit you. He didn't scrape you. He didn't run into you. He rubbed you. And Rubbin's racing. Mm-hmm. And all the, oh, that's not racing. Bull. That is total Rubin bull. Is Rubbin is racing. <laughs> Daryl yes. Waltrip, how many times has he said that on NASCAR broadcast? Rubbin's racing, yes. boys. Yes. Yeah. That is absolutely all said it. true. That introduced that phrase, though. To the lexicon. And to their credit, NASCAR, mainly because Waltrip started doing it, embraced that oh, on television yeah. and started saying it. Mm-hmm. And, and it became part of the culture. And now we all know it. If you know nothing else from Days of Thunder, you know Rubbin's Rubin's Racing. Racing yeah. And and it's it, that's I, and I do like that. I mean, and if you watch a race, at the end of the race, man, like those tire scuff marks and stuff on the side of the paint and everything, mm-hmm. like they've improved a lot of that, so it doesn't do it as much because the quarter panel sticks out a lot more now. But if you watch racing in the 90s, race cars looked like hell. At the oh, they, they absolutely did. They bumped and banged. I mean, I mean, look at the uh, I mean, the first Daytona race that was broadcast yeah. on national TV. You know, you had yeah. Kale Yarbrough and Bobby Allison bumping and banging each other, and they took each other out. Uh, yeah, it was I mean, just, it's it, that's just how it's done. Yeah, exactly. The, that footage, though, and all of that stuff 
drives the story along so well because you see Cole start to slowly but surely get a little bit of it, but he's also screwing up a lot and he doesn't know what he's doing. Like you say, and that's when we come to the big, the big moment is, you know, the, the guys are all just sort of like, whatever he's going to wreck. Eventually they're eating ice cream in the pit. He gets pissed, <laughs> comes in there. They start a fight while the owner is trying to, you know, coax the sponsors. And I love that. This is one of those, like, it's not up on the Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you know, sales meeting, but it's, it's oh. next. To it's it, Randy there. Quaid yes. brings the race team in oh. and talks about the monkey f and the football. I, and that you guys, well, that was so unexpected. <laughs> yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, but I mean, he, he's exactly right. You guys screwed up big time, and I love how he has the heart to heart with uh, Robert Duvall, Harry Hogg, and he says, "Look." I know you're awesome. You know you're amazing. But if the dude in the car doesn't l- listen to you and you can't work with him, we're never going to get anywhere. Yeah. You got to get him to trust you and listen to mm-hmm. you. And then they have a great conversation, um, which is supposedly based on several real race conversations mm-hmm. that drivers have had with, you know, their, their crew chiefs. Tom Cruise says to you, know, Cole, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you mean. When you, tell, you want me to tell you this? When you tell you, I don't understand that. Uh, no, don't turn here, that wedge there. It has no clue. It, yeah. know. And, and what he's talking about is all the engineering stuff on the mm-hmm. car. And the truth is, drivers nowadays kind of come up and know that. They learn right, that stuff. Right. But it wasn't uncommon for those guys to not know that back mm-hmm. in those days. Especially a guy like Tim Richmond would not have known no, that stuff. No, no, no. Right? But you can learn it because you learn how to talk about what the car is doing. It tells your guy to translate it, whatever. So they work all that out. And I like that moment though because you can see that that's an actual growth moment yeah and that's one of the things i like about this movie is that uh, unlike top gun when we meet maverick he's already great at what right, he does right he's an amazing mm-hmm. pilot already because you have to be before they even let you on the you know on the aircraft carrier right when we're meeting cole we, we watch him figure it out and that's a lot more of a an interesting journey for a protagonist in my mind watching them learn it yeah because that's how the audience learns it too oh yeah right? i this agree is how i'm that going to win what, much more interesting and then whenever they're working together they're working at the racetrack and robert duvall's teaching him it's it's pretty cool and i love i think the moment that you know that bond is developed is when he says okay you run 50 laps any way you like then you have to run 50 laps my way and i guarantee you i'll be faster and the tires will be better. And sure enough, at the end, he's, you know, when, mm-hmm. you know, Randy Quaid's character pulls up and he shows him the two tires. That was his way and this burnt tire, my way, this tire that had no marks on it. He says, I was six seconds faster. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. I mean, so that, there's that trust that builds right there. Yeah, exactly. Cause you've had the expert prove to the talent that I know what I'm talking about and I'm going to let you run your way, but you got to listen to me on mm-hmm. certain things. And what it well, was is that, and not uncommon, I, I think it's, it's boiled down to a very simple sentence, but it's actually a great piece of science in the movie is in Indy cars, the car weighs half as much yeah. and the ca- tires are twice as wide. Mm-hmm. Now the car weighs twice as much. The tires are half as wide. You're spinning them out of control and it's burning them up. And we've seen, and what's interestingly enough is there was this phase, like after Tony Stewart got in the NASCAR, there was this huge push of all these race teams wanting to sign these open wheel guys, these IndyCar drivers. Mm-hmm. So you saw Sam Hortis Jr., you saw Danica Patrick, you saw this, you saw um, Dario Franchitti, Dario Franchitti a whole bunch of them, and they all stunk. They all, they <laughs> yep. did the same, they were constantly spinning out. They were constantly, and a lot of it was their tire, I mean, it was always tires issues. They were always they, losing control of the car because like 
Robert Duvall says the car weighs twice as much and the tires are half as wide. And you're, yeah, using and you're them burning them up, yeah. and that's that's the problem is you slip around the side, and, it, and it's all over. Mm-hmm. So they they get the 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 chemistry down. Yes. they start running better, mm-hmm. and they finally run well enough. He slings around Rowdy because you know he has to tell him something, and this this sets up a big piece here mm-hmm. that Cole doesn't entirely trust himself, right? You know, and and it's going to get um, laid out by. Uh, Nicole Kidman's character a little bit later in the movie after a big scene, but he doesn't entirely trust himself. Like he knows he's good, but he doesn't know why he's good. Mm-hmm. And so Harry has to lay this bull on him about, I've got put special tires in there just so you can pass on the outside or whatever. It's a bunch of nonsense. Yeah. But, but again, in NASCAR culture, the crew chiefs will tell drivers anything to get them to shut up. Yes, they will. Yeah, <laughs> yes, so, they will. Like, the force is with you, whatever. And so he gets around rowdy, wins the race. They get the sponsor. Um, and this is the thing too that I always loved is like the NASCAR sponsors before they realized that like the color needs to look a certain way on television mm-hmm. would put the gaudiest, dumbest looking color schemes like a pink and black car. I was like, wow, looked- when they got the Superflow car, I was like, wow, that is a hot pink right there. That's uh, I mean, that it, was, it was not horrible. the it was not the first pink NASCAR out there, but it was still no. wow for the movie. Just, you had this awesome paint look scheme. Right. No, it didn't. You had this yeah. awesome city Chevrolet green and yellow paint mm-hmm. scheme. And then you go to this, and it's like, oh, okay. That's, so we're going yeah, to this but one. it is the kind of thing you would do as a first race team, right? Yeah. You take what yeah. you got, you yeah. sponsor. Oh, yes, yeah. we are riding yeah. this baby. Mane and, so and, Mane and Tail Horse and People Shampoo was a sponsor, and it was pink. And yeah. uh, they were happy to slap that logo on the car. Exactly. Well, you know, and then you've got the the array of you know little stickers all mm-hmm. over the car, you know, yeah. which are the you know a lot of companies realized years ago that like we can have one car or we can be on everybody's car, yeah. And so yeah, they exactly. figured out that was a smarter <laughs> way to go. Yeah. And so you know it, it worked, <laughs> but they get out now. They've got the super flow car. We're we're winning races. We're you know we're everything's right, right? And we have a little fun here. You know that we get some NASCAR stories. We get a little bit of Cole's backstory that the mm-hmm. reason he had gotten fired from his last team was his dad was basically the owner of the race team, but he was also like a junk bond salesman. So he was, he was a con man. Yeah. So he's, he's someone who doesn't trust people because of this. That's part of why he is the way he is. We get a little bit of John C. Riley's dad's character who it sort of overshadows the whole movie that Harry's last driver died in a bad car wreck. And supposedly he, you know, there was, there was, he could have been on pound fumes. fumes, And that's why Harry got out because he didn't want to deal with it. But, I don't know whatever the truth is, and the and the thing is, they never tell us what the actual story was. Right, that's you can true. Kind of guess what you want it to be, yeah. but it's it's one of those legends of racing that all you know you always wonder, like, oh, why did this happen? Why did that happen? You know, these these it happens with these guys, yeah. and you, you get a little bit of that. They get the you know the stripper playing the state trooper to you know mess around with Tom Cruise, which is a funny scene. Yeah, it sets up a scene when he. Totally accosts uh, Nicole Gimmon later uh, in the movie. But we set up for the next race, the summer race at Daytona. Mm-hmm. And that's the cool thing about NASCAR is that you make all the big tracks twice in the season for yeah. people that don't know NASCAR. Yeah. So you do Daytona in February to kick off the season, and then you come back in the summer mm-hmm. when it's hot as blazes in Florida, <laughs> and you do another race week down in Daytona. And the Firecracker 400, it's not, I don't think it's even called that anymore, but back then that was a big yeah. It was like a midpoint yeah, race. It was. You know, it was, yeah. It was, it was a way to kind of check where you were, you know, how you were doing in the standings. So Cole's in this great race. He's running hard against Rowdy. It's just, they're, they're flying up and down the track. 
And the big one happens. And, you know, growing up in, around Talladega culture, I knew the big one was just part of what we talked about. The huge mm-hmm. wreck. I've been mm-hmm. to Tal- every time I've been to Talladega, I've seen one. I've, walk- I've seen people walk away from stuff. I have no idea how they yeah. did. It's, you know, modern engineering is, is fantastic. But the big wreck happens and Cole and Rowdy are part of this huge, huge wreck. And they have to fly to the, the hospital now because they've had head injuries. And this was a big deal for me to watch because as a kid, I sustained a head injury, not in a car wreck, mm-hmm. but similar. So I kind of could relate with some of this stuff and some of what they're talking about. And so it was, I don't know, it, it I've always, I think I've, that's another reason I've kind of attached to this movie through the years is because I experienced some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I've seen it. The only thing, and I'll ding this movie for this, is I feel like they kind of get us out of the crash so fast. Way and too so fast. So quick to the hospital. Yeah, like now, like nowadays, like, I think you would linger on that a little bit and show what it's actually like because mm-hmm. the safety crews around NASCAR are incredible. Yeah. And they're very cautious. They're very you know, careful about what they do. It, it almost cuts too quick. And that it also cuts too quick and it also doesn't explain what happened to Rowdy as he's just going through that. It's He has mm-hmm. a smile on his face as he's driving through, but then his car just slides sideways. Like it, it just... How did that? How did that come about? Was he hit? It, that was never really explained. Like how that happened? Because even when Cole wakes up in the hospital and and um, Harry tells him, "Hey, you know, it's we're not sure exactly what happened. We think another guy hit you." That was never really fully explained. That would have been nice to see in full detail. Like how did Rowdy get loose? How did Cole run into him um, at full speed? I saw a wreck like that at an ARCA race one time, and unfortunately, the guy who hit the other guy. That exact same way, at T-bone, the exact same way at full speed. The guy who was who hit him actually died, and nice. the other guy was paralyzed for a while. So that's that was a very serious, you know, very serious accident. And then, as you say, we see we see him go to the hospital, and then it's the movie takes a completely different turn from there. Yeah, we get the love story in in the movie, and it is introduced because. Nicole Kimmon plays Clara Wiki. The, she's one of the neurosurgeons. She's not the head of the department, right. at least. So she's not doing a Christmas Jones, James Bond thing or whatever. But she's a surgeon. She's young, but she's qualified. And what I liked about Nicole Kidman here is she, she talks very specific and she, she's a, she's the kind of actress that knows things. There's a funny story she likes to tell that she told the producers like, Hey, I want to spend a couple of days, you know, shadowing some neurosurgeons. Right, yeah. And they said, it'll be a huge waste of your yeah. time. <laughs> like, we're not going to ask you to <laughs> yeah, do that. Just, but she did it anyway. Yeah, she did. She, so, she wanted yeah. to, she wanted to study. And she had she it did. down. And we see that like Cole, you know, has, he's got a concussion essentially. And so it's kind of made his vision real blurry. He can't see anything. He's kind of freaking out too. And then Rowdy is like, get me out of this right now. I don't do hospitals. I'm not going to do it. Very Dale Earnhardt. By the way, just I don't do this stuff. Get me out of here. You know, he's tough and rumble. He wants to get free. And they both have sustained some pretty serious injuries. And when you finally see Cole calm down, he's in the the MRI, you know, and, and I've had CAT scans and MRIs you know, for years. And so I, I, again, can relate to a lot of that. And there's something he says on it that I thought was such a great humanizing line for this character that in another movie they would just would have never done. But they bothered to leave in here is where he says, can somebody please talk to me when I'm in the car? There's this guy that talks nah, to me. I, was, I, I did like that moment. I really like that I can, moment. Yeah. Yeah. And having been in those, you know, machines again, it is an incredibly lonely experience. (laughs) It really is. It's just, it's awful. And so it's neat to, you know, that they have that little moment for him. And then of course, you know, beautiful Nicole Kim and walks in the room to examine him and, Still out of his mind a little bit, uh, Cole thinks, oh, this is another setup. 
And before the guys can stop him, of course, he's, you know, like, oh, don't you want to fill the real machine or whatever? Yeah. And she's like, mm, not exactly. So, he, But what's neat is that he, you can tell he feels terrible about this mm-hmm. after he finds out, like, oh, no. Then we get, again, what I think is the cameo of the movie. Out of all the NASCAR cameos in here, the fact that they got Fred Thompson to come in and crush up some Winston Select light packs. Oh, and be the head of NASCAR. Oh yeah, to That's, to just go off on and this is apparently word for word conversation. I wish that, I uh, wish that the, Dale and, and yeah. Jeff uh, Bodine, Jeff Bodine had time. exactly. I wish <laughs> yeah. that Bill, the Francis would have been more like Fred Thompson. I think NASCAR would have probably yeah. succeeded a little bit more had Fred Thompson been head of it. And that slow reveal when he turns around, you're like, hey, that's yep. Fred Thompson. Oh, yeah, man. and just a great character actor, and, and gone to, you know from the earth now. But what a fantastic dude, and did work for for decades. But and shows up in these kind of movies and does this role. And I love this whole bit about like this is what I'm going to do to you. I'm going to give you the Japanese inspection. I'm going to tear you apart if you do. You know, you even look at each other sideways on a racetrack again. And these guys are like, okay, okay, we're getting chewed out, Dad. And <laughs> then it's like we're going to go to dinner together. And then we get like the great comic relief scene. Oh yeah, of Michael Rooker and Tom Cruise arguing about who's going to drive to dinner. We're like, no, let's just go to the local budget rent a car, sign up for the $15 insurance, and wreck the absolute hell out of these two cars. <laughs> and that was really cool. That was also very cool. Now, going back to the scene where they're, um, we had the Fred Thompson scene when his first cameo, for he makes his first cameo, and they're talking to the, they're talking to Dr. Lewicki about, are they clear to drive? There were, there was a couple of things in that scene that I, I also had some issues with. One, they were incredible. I mean, not Fred Thompson, but the other guy, was incredibly rude just talking to her really hard i was like wow would they really i would think the safety of their drivers would come first why are they talking to her in this way and then the other thing is so they're at the restaurant and they're waiting on rowdy and cole to show up and fred thompson says you know if you can't control your drivers any better than this maybe you should stick to selling used cars in downtown charlotte where's rowdy's Owner. That's what I wanted to know too. That line comes in, and I'm like, "Did did Tim buy Rowdy? Yeah, because I was like, no, because he because he was there was no there was nobody with Rowdy in the meeting with Doctor Lewicki, and there was nobody else. I there. think there was a guy. There was one guy over to the side that I couldn't tell what he was doing. Well, that was the same guy his, that was in the um, yeah. in the meeting that was working for Fred Thompson. So okay, so that wasn't his no, guy. There. Okay, wasn't. yeah. So you know what? I don't know. That is a weird moment because you would think if he. Well, okay, just to spread that out, if he already had Rowdy Burns, he wouldn't need another race yeah, team. Then true. there would also be no big deal about having the second one later. So that is a weird line. That was, it, yeah. it almost feels like a and, – and this movie, too, to, you know, to be fair to it, they were writing scenes days it was happening, like at oh, the day of. Yeah. They were feeding lines to the actor. So who knows yeah, what rewrite happened. That's true. Yeah, and so, and so it could have been in there somewhere. But I'm with you. I was like, where's Rowdy's people here? I don't mm. see them. But the point is that, that they show up together, and you can tell that the rivals have now become friends. Yes. So it's another point I give this movie when people say, oh, it's Top Gun and NASCAR. We never see Iceman and, and no. Maverick get along until no. they save each other's ass yeah. and are back on the, the aircraft character at the end. And then it's kind of understood that you would hug it mm-hmm. out because you both just didn't die. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, that's, that's a different moment than this. And I understand that if we ever get the Top Gun Maverick you know, sequel, that that'll be much more fleshed out. You'll, you'll know that story matter. But. It, that was something, though, that Tom Cruise apparently insisted on, was that I'm going to have this rival, and then we've got to at some point bury the hatchet, because he had 
heard so many NASCAR stories about these guys who were rivals who eventually buried the hatchet yeah. you know, years down the line. And it's fun to see that, you know, and to hear those guys talk about it. And they have the, you know, they have the little dinner thing or whatever. And they're like, Oh, we had a little car trouble. And you'd see the cars in the valet lot. And they're just, just absolutely. But again, you know, yeah. these guys don't care. And, <laughs> and apparently that was a real story too. Yeah. And so we get, we get past that, but at that point, Cole's not clear to return. Rowdy's clearly not clear to return. And all Cole is focused on is, I got to get this doctor's attention, mm-hmm. right? So Harry does go and kind of, you know, apologizes on his behalf and, and all this stuff. And she seems to get it. Then Cole kids her in the parking lot. They have this whole moment. But I like that the, the love story between him and Claire is allowed to develop in a, over a series of moments and conversations. Yes, it's not just he, automatic, he like, love at first sight kind of, of thing. Yeah. Neurosurgeon department to let her fly to Charlotte to check him and Rowdy out before the next race or whatever, which is, you know, kind of neat. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, they get to drive together. Like you said, you know, we have the, the top gun, the, you know, the top off the car where they're driving together and all this stuff. And they're spending time together and they're, they're together. And she does the examination. He comes on to her. And what I love about this though is, especially in 1990, this was a progressive thing to do when he's like, I can't believe you were ignoring me. And then Nicole Kimmon just absolutely plants him. He's like, I wasn't, I was just doing my job, Boron. <laughs> and then she just goes to town on oh, him. Oh, yeah. I was like, you, you go, girl, have agency. Yeah. Be you. Like, you know, I, like, well, th- that right there mm-hmm. probably shows you why, like, speaking of, you know, Tom. Cruz's picks. I mean, he handpicked he uh, Nicole Kidman after he saw the movie Dead Calm. He says, hey, I want her in this film. And uh, this is the film they fell in love with. This is the, f- I mean, that they fell in love in together. And from then on, they had the relationship and then the marriage. But this, it was working on this film is when their, their love, their actual off screen love story started. Yeah, it's so fun, too, because in this year in Filmstrip, Kurt and I have just reviewed Eyes Wide Shut a month or so ago, so we saw the end of it, literally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so their careers together and their relationship mm-hmm. together in a movie. But, yeah, but it's neat to see that here. It's neat to see a character, though, that – because, again, it's a Hollywood trope to cast a beautiful woman in a – you know heavy role like a neurosurgeon or mm. nuclear physicist or whatever, and they're just they're, – they're just there to be eye candy. And for her to actually have – you know, brains and show them throughout see, the that movie. That was, and, which and, is very different yeah. from a Bruckheimer produced film. You know, you'll yes. see the women who say they're one thing, but they're clearly, they're like Christmas Jones in the James Bond film. Yes. They're like, oh, you're, you're literally a rocket scientist. And wow, you're, there's no way it's not believable. But in this yeah. case, it was, in, in this case, it absolutely was like, I could genuinely see her being a doctor and she had her own life, her own personality. She was not just eye candy. So I mean, well, yeah, and she, and she also wasn't completely taken by this guy. No, like no, she, exactly. she kind of went along with it. You know, she hooked up with him, but she was like, "Are you ever going to do anything else besides race? Because that's really not the you know safe, and I got to have things going for me. So <laughs> where is this going? Yeah, or do I need to leave? Well, like, you know, you can tell like it gets a little fun there between them. But I like that though, and I like that when they go to visit Rowdy. He clearly is not right. He's, mm-hmm. he's got problems. And she tries to examine him. And, of course, he falls out. Cole gets sick. Rowdy gives him hell for it. Um, but you can tell, though, some of the things that Harry has said about race car drivers and sort of their fears of being in hospitals and being around other guys who've been hurt and stuff, that's a very real oh, thing. Oh, it's a very, very you know, real thing, yeah. Yeah, you know, because he's right. They don't want to be reminded of what can happen to Mm -hmm. them because it'll make them lose their edge. Mm -hmm. And that's what we see happens to 
Cole. Now we we glossed over. We should talk about Carrie Elway's one scene where he comes in here and he gets blown off uh, by Tom Cruise. I didn't know who this dude was in 1990. I, you know, Princess Bride, all that stuff was years later for me. And him, yeah, I, I think that may be one of the first things he ever did, you know, but, and now I would call him the saw guy. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but you know, he, he's the, he's the doctor in the first and last saw movie so far, but, uh, spoiler alert, but yeah, I, I loved how total, like you meet this guy and you realize like, I hate you, and I don't even have a reason to. Oh, yeah. Like, just, just in that do. first meeting, just, I, I hate him, and I'm not sure why I hate him. And then the minute, the minute before anything happens, like, so after they've, they've been down to visit Rowdy, the suddenly they're watching TV, and they says, well, no, you know, now he has two another race team meet the driver of the 18 Hardy's car, which is a very cool paint scheme, by the way, and was actually yes. on the track for quite some time. It, like, actually, in real NASCAR races. Um and then introducing Russ Wheeler. And then you just, you didn't like him. You automatically didn't like him. And again, you didn't know why, but you just didn't like, maybe just it's that punchable face syndrome, I guess. It's maybe that's yeah. what it was, but he goes to show. I mean, as we see later, he is exactly who you think he is. No, it's, it's exactly the right. It's, He's cocky. He's just like Cole, but Cole's our guy. You, we can't have second cocky guy. No. Because we have like veteran cocky guy and Rowdy who we like mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Um, and who you kind of always like because mm-hmm. you can't deny how good he is. And if you yeah. know anything about NASCAR, you know that's Dale. So you're like, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then, then you've got Cole who you've grown to like, you know, or, or, or behind for the movie because he is the protagonist. And then you meet this guy and you're like, no, you're the bad cocky guy. You're the, you're the Iceman that we hate. Yes. <laughs> you yes. might as well have been Russian. I yeah. Mean, you know, exactly. I mean, I mean, he he was, he was such a, but again, I'll give Carrie always, he's not a grand actor. Okay. Let's not give him too much, but he was perfect for this because he mm-hmm. just had a little bit to do and he played it right. And I love how the, the split, um, uh, loyalties are immediately called by Harry. He's like, who are you going to be rooting for? You know, you can't have two race teams, which that's funny because race teams now like have three and four and five drivers right. and stuff like that. Right. But back in 1990, that would have been for an upstart guy, for a new owner to all of a sudden throw two teams out in the same season. That would have been, that would have seemed like a bad, that idea. would have been a really yeah. bad idea. Bad chemistry. Yeah. Could, nothing good could have come back from a startup team. Exactly. Like you were saying, a startup team. Now, if this was yeah. an established team, then yeah, sure. I mean, Come yeah, on. everybody. I mean, like, was if doing they had it. run next year and you bring Wheeler in, you kind of get it because then there's time to build him in. Yeah. Everybody gets to know him. But he comes in, he runs good, and then now he's got this other team. And then here's Cole. And so Cole gets back on the track though, and he has clearly lost it. And this is very much the after Goose is dead and we can't fly good anymore mm-hmm. from Top Gun, but much more believable because that almost yeah. comes off really stupid in Top Gun. In this one, because I'm, Navy pilots are ice cold, like this is just how they are. Yeah. It's how those dudes roll. NASCAR drivers, though, if they've been in a bad wreck, getting back into cars, sometimes a very scary proposition. Yes. Blowing the engine just so you can get out of it happens all, all the, the time. time. To this day. Yeah, absolutely all the time. I mean, it's that was one of the things I did like that um, that he did. And then, you know, Russ Wheeler did take advantage of that, of, of Cole's weakness. Now, why he would have picked on Cole, I'm not sure because they, if they work together, like in any other race team, you you get the same resources, you get the same intel, you help each other, you yeah. you have a partner on the track you can win with, and at the same time, like whenever you know, here's Russ knocking Cole all over the track, and then as we see, like Cole just finally just snaps, he's had enough, yeah. right at the end of the race. Uh, you know, Cole is freaking out. You can see him. He's clearly still shaken from the accident. He can't get it together. 
And then Russ just bumps and bangs him all day long. And then he finally just spins him out, takes him out of the race. And Russ goes on to win. And what happens at the end of the race, Cole goes to, to his pit crew, says, change my tires. He says, I don't know why the race is always like, change my tires. So he changes tires and he hauls ass back onto the track while Russ Wheeler's taking his victory lap and plows him into the wall. And at that moment, you hear Randy Quaid's character saying, he's destroyed both my cars. And it's like, well, your guy was destroying that one. Now, yeah, you know, you should have told him, like, hey, you know, knock it off. You know, this is costing me money by doing that. You're exactly right. That is the biggest, like, NASCAR-y plot hole that I'll pick on in this is that Wheeler should have used Cole to get around the track better mm-hmm. and just continually passed him. Mm-hmm. When Cole and Cole should have been like, "Hey, man, I'm the 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 drive, lead driver here." Yeah. That should have been the right. That would have been a much more realistic portrayal of that. Is that I'm going to use this guy to drag me around the track and then I'm going to fling around him because drafting is a very you know cool thing and they do that whole mm-hmm. you know, sweet and low thing on Nicole Kidman's leg for it, uh, which was apparently Tony Scott's idea of how to describe drafting. And I got to say, good choice. Good choice. Yeah, um, <laughs> because the other way would have been much more boring. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, <laughs> at least for a 14-year-old boy in 1990. But I, I, that would have made more sense, is that Wheeler was just constantly you know, jumping out in front and had kind of overstepped. And that would have made sense because there's no way. The other thing, too, is if he's out there bumping and grinding gold, Dalen would have got on the phone to him because owners do this mm-hmm. and be like, stop wrecking my race yes, car. Yes, they <laughs> like, absolutely like, do that. Do. They absolutely do that. And yeah. I did like at the end, after that happened, then you see both – race teams start duking it out in the pits, which is incredibly common. That happens all, all that happens the time. so many times. So many it's times to this day that. it happens. But I love <laughs> I did like Randy Quaid being right in the middle of it. It's like, you're fired. You're fired. You're fired. I love that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I know, and but that's what happens. So so Cole gets fired, Harry's fired, the Superflow race team is done, which I'm like, I'm sure the Superflow people are like, um, uh, we really didn't get our money's here? worth right here. Yeah. <laughs> really? Can we get the back quarter pedal of the Hardy's car now <laughs> exactly. or something? Oh, you know, for this. But, but anyway, put that aside. Yeah. Put that over. He gets fired. He's, he's out <clears throat> or whatever. And he decides that, okay, I've got to, you know, I've got to go and, and convince Rowdy to have the surgery. And he's taking, uh, Claire back to the airport. And he, of course, he gets into a, you know, thing with a taxi driver and she jumps out of the car. And this is when I think Nicole Kidman has her best scene. She mm-hmm. absolutely lets into him. And and I love that they gave her these lines and she just totally nails it. She talks about how you're scared. You, you're scared. You don't have the nerve to do this. You may have never had it. You don't know what you're going to do with yourself. And then she, her last line came was great. It's like, I hate you. You make me sound like a doctor. Yeah. And she walks away and I was like, ouch. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. And I mean, she, but she levels it. And I love and that. And I love that they, yeah, because nowadays, like Tom Cruise would never let that happen to him. In the movie. I knew. Like, that is no, no, but back then he would, he, he wrote that mm-hmm. for her, mm-hmm. apparently. And she just, just, killed it and I, it was it was just amazing and i love though that they gave her to, to do that because it does inform everything he does the rest of the movie yeah and, and i do and that right there set the tone for what he does that was that wake-up call he needed and the next thing you know he goes over to rowdy's house rowdy is he can't remember his name he said he points to him he points to the trophy he's like hey what'd you win this one for and he can't remember he's like that's the winston cup that's like the pinnacle yeah. of your profession. You can't remember what that is. And he's like, all right, we can, we can fix your brain now, or we can fix it at the, the hospital. We can fix it right here. Now, what's it going to be? And then he does convince him to go down in there. But you still see he's not – Cole is still struggling. He at least mm-hmm. got Rowdy into the hospital, and then the diagnosis for Rowdy 
is not good. He's never going to be able to drive a race car again, but Rowdy needs somebody to drive his car next year. And he says, you know, they, the sponsor put their money on me and not the car. I was like, well, isn't that how it usually works? I mean, yeah, I mean, they don't care about the car. They just need the driver to drive it. Like it could be, you know, you could, let's, you know, Jeff Gordon in his prime could have went to some scrub race team and I guarantee you he would have brought sponsorship, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you, you put Gordon and Chip Ganassi on a, on a team together, and that you were going to win. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. this is how it was for years, and it's how it's worked for a lot of years mm-hmm. for a lot of these guys. But I like what he, what he says though, is and he's exactly right. And I I can't help but think if somewhere along the way Cameron Crowe and Tom Cruise had this conversation about this because this is in Jerry Maguire with the guy talking about how like I got to play next year, I got to get yeah. my bonus. Yeah, you know, the hockey true. player with the concussions yeah. or whatever. And and I thought about that because I saw Jerry Maguire not that long ago again. And I thought, wow, I, I wonder if like Cruz influenced that at all. There's nothing I couldn't find anything on the internet about it, so it's just me putting those together. But and it could be total synchronicity. But I just am curious about it. But it's it's a right conversation. Is that look? I got a lot of things that this year would have been the year to pay for them. I need somebody who I trust in this car. I need you to run this car. So that's one part of it. And I love how Cruz walks out of that when Cole leaves that scene. He said, we'll we'll talk about the business part later because he starts to freak out a little bit. You can tell, like, I can't, I can't think about this right now. And he walks straight past Claire, doesn't give her a look, nothing. And she's like, you know, he's like, just tell him I'll call him later. And he goes straight to Harry. And they have that great conversation where he's got to convince Harry, you know, to, to build the car for him, to set it up for him. Because we, again, that wouldn't make any difference at all. It's the same yeah. car. In fact, Rowdy's crew probably would know that car better, but whatever. <laughs> we've, we've built in that only Robert Duvall can touch the car and make it magic. And so they have the great argument, though, about, you know, you're going to die if you get back in that race car. It's a good oh, scene that was between a Robert Duvall really and Really great scene. I absolutely love that. Just that, that. Fighting right there where everything with Cole, everything with Robert Duvall, everything comes out in the open. And it's just like you suddenly see the the charming persona that Robert Duvall suddenly had. Then you see this anger come out. That anger Mm -hmm. about talking about Buddy Brotherton and – oh, Buck Brotherton. um, No, Buddy Brotherton. Yeah, that's the one that died in the car. And then when Tom Cruise asked him, like, how was he doing in that race before he died? And then he just snaps. So there's definitely more to that story. He's like, wow – what what did happen? That's why there was no investigation because I mean there was going to be an investigation and Harry just says ah oh, no I retire, uh, so yeah. there couldn't have been an investigation. So that was Can yeah I that was like that, that, really powerful. Like- I really like that because nowadays, like a movie would bother to explain that. We'd get a flashback. We'd hear all about it, you know, and I like that that is just dangled out there I do and too. it's left. I do too. Because that's life though. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. happens all the time. People just don't tell you. I, for a movie that had a tendency to, Throw, like I mentioned before, throw out the obvious foreshadowing. I like that sort of just left it hanging there because you, you yeah. wonder about it, but at the same time, it's not, it's, it's not necessary to know the full story. You just, you, you leave it to your imagination to that. Well, you know, it's, it's very similar and I've made so many comparisons. It's just, just another one. The top, the top gun moment where Tom Skerritt is telling Maverick how his dad really died. Oh. You know, yeah. like to me, like that scene kind of matters, but if mm-hmm. you watch that movie again, it would be so much better if they played it like this. Yeah. Oh. And yeah. said, there's some things you just don't get to know That's in right. life. So. That's right. I love <laughs> you know? that. And yeah. you got to move on. Yeah. I, I and, mean, and I'm, I watched this and I'm like, this is so much better than that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. cause that seems so. 
cheesy and and uh, I don't know not earned the way that this seems very earned between these two guys and then they have a laugh about it. I don't know about this yeah <laughs> you know? and then you know they're gonna get on the track together and then we get another you know Robert Duvall talking to the car which is funny mm-hmm. I mean yeah. I just love it and the thing starts leaking all over oh that was I, even <laughs> at 14 I remember seeing that and I yeah. that when I was working at the speedway at 14 years old that happened one Friday we had the truck we had the car loaded up onto the trailer and everything like that the night before. We get up the next morning. I I ride my bike down to the guy's house and I get off the bike and the driver and the crew chief and the driver's dad are standing around just looking at the car. I was like, "What's wrong?" And he's like, "Look under, you know, look on look on the look on the trailer underneath the engine." And I looked and I was like, "Is that oil?" And he says, "Yeah." I said, "Well." What what does that mean? He's like that means we're not racing this Saturday. I was like, yeah. oh no! And they said like, they explained it to me. Like, yeah, we have to basically replace the whole freaking engine. Like, we're tell me when you're out of school this week and come on down. We need your help. So, exactly. um, yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. So when I saw that dripping, I was like, oh, oh wow, that's that's real bad. And we should say, like, you know, you would think, like, if you have an oil leak in your car, like, you can go fix the gasket on it. You mm-hmm. On a race car, nope. the nope. whole thing is gone. Whole, you you start over. Because yep. if you don't, the chances of it catching on fire are incredible. Oh, yeah. And you don't, you don't need that. So you do it then. And, and we'll go ahead and say it now because they reveal it later in the race. <laughs> Harry calls up Tim and says, I need an engine. Yeah. And Tim gives him an engine mm-hmm. for his car. To do it or whatever. And it gets paid off later because Cole's, he's only got one gear left and they're having to push him to get him, you know, fast enough to get out of the thing. And Dalen makes the Hardy's crew push too. And the NASCAR officials busting him for it. And he's like, nope, that's my engine in that car. I own that. I engine. did like and that. And so I'm like, mm-hmm. that, yeah, I, I did. Like, that's I a cool really like that a lot. And I like that moment because it redeems Dalen mm-hmm. for us. Yeah. A little it bit. does. Like at that point, like we needed something that would because he's not a bad guy. He's just a business. That's right. I mean, that's, that's, he's just trying to win yeah that's his whole thing and the whole like just give me the high gear totally works it's daytona you yeah. only need the high gear that, that's yeah. it you, yeah if you get that thing going up fast enough that's all that's you gotta because when he says you need to be at full speed when that when that uh, green flag drops so yeah i i, I did love that whole and he passes season. the whole thing and that was in the but even at the beginning of that race you know he's for half the race he is in last place he's hanging out at the yeah. back he's not communicating anything to Harry, he and Harry's to sit there, Cole. You're, you know, what's going on? Answer me. What's wrong with the car? What's wrong? Answer me, please. He's like pleading with him, please talk to me. And then the big wreck again. And then the yeah. wreck happened. You see him sweating and breathing. He's having the flashbacks. But then, and then, he, you know, Harry's pleading was like, "Go high. I promise you. I know it. I know it in my heart that you're going to be fine." And so he trusts him. And sure enough, mm-hmm. he blows through it. And then it's just, just like he's coming out of the smoke. It's just like the clouds lift, and he's like, he's back. He's like, okay, I got, I'm out of here. I got this. And exactly, the old cold running turns, great. Yeah. And we get a great end sequence where I mean, and Wheeler's got him pegged. He's like, he always goes outside. He always passes on the outside to come get me. That's his move. That's what he does. And I've seen this happen in races. It's so exciting oh, to yeah. see. Is the guy acts like he's going one way and he dekes around the other side of you. There, and he takes the inside and you get that just you know great finish there at the end. I remember I, one of the most exciting yeah. races it was a Daytona race that I saw. It was the the summer race in two thousand and eight. And my driver, Tony Stewart, he's driving the Burger King car. And on the last lap he did the exact same thing. All I could think of was Days of Thunder. And <laughs> he Kept going high on Bobby Labonte. Bobby Labonte kept cutting him off. And then right coming off of turn four, Tony Stewart goes high. 
Labani goes high, Stewart goes low, starts to slingshot past him, and Stewart, because he slingshot past him, he already got the front of his car underneath him, and Labani tried to cut him off, but Stewart's nose was already there, and Labani went out, and Stewart won, and it was just an incredible ending that I still watch recordings of. But yeah, there was that. It was a, the the only thing I didn't like about that was the obvious foreshadowing where Russ's crew chief's yeah. like, "Be careful, Russ. He's gonna try to slingshot past you." And he's like, "I know, Cole. He'll always go on the outside." And I was like, "Oh, don't say that. Just don't. That didn't need to be said. You take that line yeah. out. That makes that slingshot way better. Even when Cole says, "This one's for you, Harry." That that's a perfect line. Yeah. Like if you had just had that. If if the, you had the crew chief telling Russ that, and Russ just says, "I got him." You know, yeah. and that's all Even he has that. to say. Cause Even that. nowadays, like you get, you, you hear these guys in the car like all the day now mm-hmm. on the, 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 uh, television when you watch a race. And that's what they would say. Like, I got him. I got him. You know, mm-hmm. and that's all he would say. And then if Cole had come back with like, this one's for you, Harry. And then he slings that the other way around. That would have been perfect oh, because you've got that music yeah. pumping. I mean, Zimmer nails that. Yes, he does. Too. Yes, he does. It's, it's a great ending. It's a great end of the race. And I love though that this movie doesn't just end on the big crescendo mm-hmm. like that. It allows it to come back down. We go to the, you know, the, um, winter circles. Cole Kimmins there. You know, everybody's there. Even Dalen's kind of happy. Russ kind of tips his hat to him. You know, the whole bit. Everybody's happy. And Harry's just sitting over there kind of exhausted yeah. from the whole experience. And I love that the last thing we get is just a little moment between them. And there's like, I'll race you. And then they just start running together. You know, the yeah. old man and the kid running And that together. was really I, cool. It's fun. I mean, yeah. that was also one of those unbelievable moments, too, where... Oh, the the winner of the day twenty five hundred just walks away from Victory Lane no. without being bothered, <laughs> without anybody following him to just go have a quiet conversation with his crew chief on the side. Yeah, the the, the yeah. TV people wouldn't let that happen. The sponsors that would have been sure hours later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes. that would have been hours, hours later. later. Yeah, that that happened because yeah, those guys you are taking pictures with everybody. <laughs> you're talking about well, the Percolator four hundred today ran real well, and we had the Melly Yellow fifty one mm-hmm. really turned up, and really appreciate the Goodyear tires and yes. They would. They got to get all the sponsors out there. They got to get all the sponsors out there. It's how they, but it's how they're trained to do it. And that's what makes it fun. I would, I, uh, Talladega Nights actually does a really good job of laying yeah. out oh, how yeah. that works. <laughs> um, so more than this movie did, but this movie doesn't do that. This is where it ends and it leaves us with that big moment. And then of course we get the big David Coverdale song singing over that theme the whole way out as we go to credit. So I guess we're at the, the part of the podcast where it's time for final thoughts, recommendations and popcorn ratings. So Nate, what are yours for days of thunder? So my final recommendations is this. It's, when I I remember the first review I saw of this film was the Nashville Network's review of this film. And if there's anybody, if there's ever an audi- wow. a NASCAR audience, it's going to be those yes. who turn into the Nashville Network. And they slammed it. They did not like yeah. it. They're like, we don't like the name. We don't like the way it's shot. We don't like the fact that he's from California. We, I mean, they were just pointing out all of this stuff that they didn't like. And I remember thinking, I was like, okay, it's not that bad. It's, a to me... Growing up in the South, watching NASCAR in the 80s, I, I enjoyed it. Even though at 14 I was pointing out all the things that were wrong, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It still, despite its flaws, it sticks with you. I mean, what can you compare it to? To me, it's like with food or drink or movies. The movies, that those things that really stick out to me are ones I can't compare to anything else. You can't compare... Talladega Nights to it. Talladega Nights is a spoof. It's a comedy. You can't compare Stroke or Ace to it or Cannonball Run or anything no. like that. It really... It, you, you can't even compare it to Top Gun. In some ways you can, but it's not Top Gun. So, mm. 
for that, I greatly appreciate it. It was a part of my childhood. It was probably at that point in my life where I was more into racing than I'd ever been. I would, I would, I would recommend it. I would certainly recommend this to, for, for people who like Tom Cruise, you've got to watch it. You, for the pure fact of where he's at in his career at this, you had mentioned this was one of the first films where he had a lot of say in a lot of things, and it works. Um, yes, you still see those Bruckheimer hints in there. You still see a lot of the, I mean, you, you certainly recognize Hans Zimmer's music. Um, you, as we can see in a lot of the Christopher Nolan films. But overall, popcorn size, boy, this is tough. Um, before I sat down to watch it, I would have given it a medium popcorn. But then when I turned it on and that opening music played and it just drew me back. Now, this is because I'd seen it and I loved it as a kid. I got to give it a large. I'm not going to give it an extra large, but I got to give it a large because it's certainly one you, you can watch it through a large popcorn. And it, it's you're not going to walk away thinking, wow, this is one of the greatest, most influential movies I've ever seen. But you'll walk away feeling, you know what? This is two hours of my li- hour and a half of my life that was worth it. Yeah. All right. I, I got to say, man, this one, like I said, holds a special place in my memories, too, because of when I saw it, who I saw it with, where I was. And it's one that I have always felt like got undue criticism. Yes. Uh, Bruckheimer says this ended an era of Hollywood filmmaking because the Michael Cimino Heaven's Gate ended the auteur director mm-hmm. era of mm-hmm. filmmaking. He said this ended the studios trusting the powerhouse producers. Yes. He said, you know, producers that made movies, he said, you know, Simpson and Bruckheimer were more known than the directors we had on our movies. And this one didn't do what Top Gun did. So they, you know, they fired us and we ended up going to Disney and Hollywood studios and it severed his relationship with Paramount forever, pretty much. And it ended an era of that because it underperformed. I mean, $157 million and, you know, again, 40 million on rentals. It underperformed. I mean, that's just, you know, it's ridiculous because this was also when Hollywood though started to, if your movie didn't like quadruple the budget, if it was a big budget movie, then it was a failure Mm -hmm. in some way. Always felt like this movie got a lot more criticism than it deserved. And here's the best way I've learned through the years to be able to sum up this movie. Imagine if Top Gun actually had a plot. Then that would be Days of Thunder. And that's what this movie is. Top Gun is a rock and roll movie with some great flying sequences, but there is no plot to that movie. The people in it will tell you there is no plot to that movie. Tony Scott said there was no plot. It didn't matter. This movie had a plot. And it had a plot because Tom Cruise had a lot to say about it and because Bruckheimer and Simpson insisted on it. They fought with Scott every day about this thing. And Ward Russell tells stories about that. But they, they fought every day about it. But what came out was something that is always watchable. Mm-hmm. It's not perfect. It's got its moments. Mm-hmm. It's definitely got some sheen on it that is just of its time. Yes. But it is infinitely watchable, Absolutely. especially if you're into this kind of thing. And again, if you grew up like we did and you watch NASCAR at all and racing, this is great. Now, if you want like a real highly technical, great race movie, Ford versus Ferrari is oh, your yeah, movie. Yeah, that yeah. is a Absolutely. fabulous movie for yeah. that. There, there's movies for that. This is not that movie. No. And it doesn't pretend no. to be. And that's what I like about it. This is a total large popcorn and a lot of fun. And it is very much the beginning of... Tom Cruise hero action star person, you know, that, that he became, or it's, it's in that swing of things when he started to do that. They would take a few years and kind of get off mm-hmm. of that and do other stuff. But when he started doing Mission Impossible and all those other things, that's when he's kind of leaned right. into that now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. If you look at the late eighties, early nineties, as far as sports films, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a, it's a damn good time. 
You yeah, think about like you've got in this in this ten year period between you know, eighty six to ninety six, you've got Major League, you've got Days of Thunder, you've got you've got Bull Durham, you've got Field of Dreams, you've got I mean you've got some films that center around sports and they do it in my opinion very well. I I am very impressed. This would be something that I could totally see myself doing in a weekend is binge watching a series of late eighties, early nineties sports films. And Days of Thunder would absolutely be included in that. And it's it would take it takes you back to for people like you and I who are in our early forties, early to mid forties, it takes us back to that time where we were really getting into sports as kids. And these movies were kind of shaped that. You know, whatever, if it was NASCAR or baseball or football, whatever, these movies kind of shaped that. And to just sit down over a weekend and just go back to watching these movies, remembering, wow, this is why I like this sport. And Days of Thunder certainly did that for me. It, despite its flaws and despite some of the, the, you know, some of the script writing that I had issues with and some of the, you know, errors I saw on the track, it's still a NASCAR movie and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's a, it's an absolute blast, and it's a lot of fun to watch and to just have out. And I mean, I I think it, it's so much fun that we we've included it here. It's you know it's at the end of the NASCAR season, so it was a perfect time to drop this movie in. We got some fun stuff coming up on the horizon as we round out 2020 here today. I was going to kind of give everybody a little teaser of what's coming up. So next week we've got Event Horizon on. Ooh, uh, Irina and her friend Chris came on. We did that one. That's going to be a blast. December the 14th, gang. <clears throat> we have something super special coming for you because it's the holiday season. Hopefully you're going to be able to travel, go see family. You're going to be off for a little bit of time. You know, hopefully it's a good time for you, but you're going to need a distraction because as much as you may miss your family, once you're around them for 35 minutes, you're going to realize I don't want to do this anymore. And you're going to need to run on a treadmill or something. So we are releasing not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, six episodes on one day. The entire Paranormal Activity series will drop in your subscribe box on December the 14th. You'll get uh, the four first Paranormal Activity movies, the marked ones, and then the Ghost Dimension. Now, we recorded those over a span of years, Nick, Ron, and I have, but we finally finished it up. We're dropping all of them to you there to have for a big opening early Christmas present. And then at the end of the year, we've got something super special with our friends from Tiz the Podcast. Uh, you should check out their show. If you're into Christmas movies, they talk about them year-round. They do a great job with it. They were on last year's year-ender with us, and uh, we had them on for Rare Exports, which was one of our great episodes. Uh, and we got them on this year to end of the year with New Year's Evil, uh, which is just a personal favorite of mine. It's how I spend New Year's Eve. I watch that movie uh, every year. And so it's something you should check out. So that's all coming up in 2020. That'll round us up and then 2021 we'll get back to kind of a normal life you know we'll go back to our bi-weekly schedule and stuff but nate you're now part of the fold and you and i are going to do something interesting next year we're going to take a selected look at the star trek franchise yes. uh, we, we're not going to tease it all out here but you and i've decided you know there's there's a ton of star trek films but we're going to kind of pick and choose like the you know a film that represents the original mm -hmm. cast well a film from the Next Generation cast and a film from the, uh, you know, J.J. Abrams verse of the cast. And uh, we may throw in a couple of extras along the way, too. Yes. But uh, that's going to be a lot of fun to uh, to get into in 2021 with you. That's going to be exciting. I mean, for those for those who don't know me, I am a massive Trekkie. Before I got into sports, before I got into history, before I got into everything that I enjoy, there was Star Trek. My dad took me to see Star Trek in the motion picture when I was three years old, and I was hooked ever since. 
Yeah, this is this is a big one for you, and this is going to be fun for me because I, you know when you had to pick sides in the playground, I most assuredly picked Star Wars, uh, and it wasn't <laughs> that I was anti Trek, but I just didn't. Well, watch the, the old series, you know, some growing yeah. up. I watched, you know, like I saw Rathacon, Search for Spock, and Voyage Home, like in theaters with my family. There's like certainly the people pr- you know. put the Star Wars Star Trek rivalry as a rivalry. It's a mutual respect thing. It, Trekkies it still enjoy Star Wars. People like Star Wars can still appreciate Star Trek. So yes. Exactly. But it'll be fun because, again, not being the super fan of something, to have one on the show will be a blast to talk about as we get into stuff in 2021. A lot more stuff coming here from Filmstrip, folks, and the way to get it is to subscribe. Go to filmstrippodcast.com. Everywhere podcasts are found, you can find our links there. Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio. We're all over all of those. Subscribe. If you can leave us a review on Apple, that helps the show a lot. We appreciate that. You can follow the show's social media at FilmstripPod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can also follow Follow us on Facebook at Filmstrip Podcast if you want to see the show posts and stuff from the host from time to time and what we've got going on. All kinds of cool stuff. It's been a massive year for us here on Filmstrip. We're doing a ton of shows. A lot of it because, hey, like the rest of you, we all kind of got stuck working from home for a long time. We didn't have anything else we could possibly do, so we decided to double up and do a lot of shows. We hope you've enjoyed them, and we really appreciate your support and feedback. It's going to be an even more fun year as we we turn the corner on the year and go into 2021. So, Nate, thanks again for joining me on this episode. And, folks, we appreciate you listening as well. So, until next time, for Nate, I'm Jay. We appreciate you listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.